0: This sermon series is about words. Good words of blessing that remind us that we are reconciled to God. We've been wandering. and We need God's blessing to remind us that He hears us, that He loves us. Now, you know that I oftentimes refer to orphans, or people that feel like orphans, as an example of the possibilities and the beauty inherent in reconciliation. Well, I have another guy for the pack. Des De Chado is a mysterious knight in Sir Walter Scott's story, Ivanhoe. Now I'm going to break from what I'm looking at. and Am I right in my writing, thinking that in Scotland... Young people in their school are exposed to Sir Walter Scott's writings. Is that part of like a 10th or 11th or 12th grade writings? I think in terms of, we used to have what was called American literature, and I was always taught that you know Scott, Burns, and Kipling were the big three that everybody knew about. But I'm seeing shaking heads. No. Okay, but at least in this crowd, most of you know at least who Ivanhoe is. If you have not read it or seen the movie or read the comic book. But he's an orphan figure. He's been disowned, disinherited by his father. Because in this 1820 novel, as Scott looks back and looks at the Anglo-Saxon Norman trying to figure out how to live together, right after the Third Crusade, which was a failed crusade, that Ivanhoe went and followed and fought with King Richard, the Norman king. And what this story is ultimately about is the beauty of reconciliation in a lot of different relationships. But Deschato, a Ivanhoe, as he sits up on the horse in borrowed armor, because he doesn't want his father to know he's back from the Crusades, and so he gives this name reflecting his orphan feelings. But see, it's complicated. Because if you're going to have a complicated relationship, you've got to have a love story, right? And love stories are often about reconciliation. So that's where Rowena comes in. And She has a bloodline back to the kings, and Cedric, Ivanhoe's father, wants her to marry Lord Assisteen. I guess it's Stain, actually, a Saxon. Because he has not given up on the Saxon thing, even though Harold lost to to the Norman king, William the Conqueror. And there is kind of a humorous scene where they think that Applesonstein has been killed, and they lay him out, and they're having a funeral, his mother is there, everybody else is there, and all of a sudden he wakes up. And so you have this man who would be king who wakes up in the story and he has has kind of some revelations that are going to bring about reconciliation because he is willing to bend the knee to Richard. To say Richard should be the king. He is the king. He pleads with Cedric to let Rowena marry Ivanhoe, her true love. But the important part is that he begs Cedric to forgive and to love his son again. And so we see this this scene of, of a blessing that represents both the blessing of the inheritance being restored, the relationship being restored, of what was brought and devastated by a decision the son made, that that relationship has been healed and forgiven and they are reconciled. And so he gives them their blessing, his blessing. So we have Ivanhoe, forgiven, restored, blessed. Desdichado is no longer, but now is the blessed heir. See, we have a lot of people who feel like they're um, disinherited, cut out of their families. This was something the Beatles knew about when they wrote, All the Lonely People, Where Have They Come From? A major American health company, in interviewing 20,000 American adults, found out that over half of them consider themselves lonely and feel that the people that are around them are not necessarily with them. Two-fifths of those surveyed said that they lack meaningful relationships and they chose the descriptive label of isolated individual. People no longer feel that they belong, they feel disinherited. That is lonely. Like Ivan O', people need to be forgiven and blessed. And now the foundational idea that I've repeated and I've made more usable, I think, about this series on benediction is that a benediction proclaims a covenant blessing in the gospel context. So let's look at the Hebrews 13 passage. Now, when I was reading and studying this and thinking about it, to sum it up, as I've summed up the whole series, the simple sentence is that the God of peace equips you to give him glory. This idea of the God of peace being at the heart of this benediction goes back to that great benediction in Numbers chapter 6 when it says, at the end of the three lines, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was something that Aaron and his sons, generation after generation, were to give to the people of Israel. So that when Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and was prophesying about his son, that he would guide their feet into the way of peace. Or when Jesus would walk into his disciples, he would say, peace be to you. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he would say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And Paul in Romans 5 would say, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, most of us remember that peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. I list all this chain of of verses about that because I think As we get at the end, what I'm going to say is, one of the things that I think can help you in your lives is if you think of him as the God of peace in this. God gives us a lot of descriptive names for himself. And we're going to talk about some of the problems people have. But see, it's the God of peace who equips you, and we're going to look at equipping. But I want to remember that it's for his glory according to this text. That is why the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Shorter Catechism in question one says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What a great sentence. What a great understanding that my goal is to glorify him. Now we know that there are a lot of idols, there are a lot of things that are fighting for that glory in our lives and enjoy him forever and we're going to look at that because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 so whatever you whatever you eat or drink whatever you do do it all to the glory of God bringing God back into that moment by moment relationship that moment by moment life when i think about the god of peace i'm reminded of something that i developed when I was in my first assignment at Plattsburgh Air Force Base back in the 80s. A long time ago. But I developed this string of words that I think has helped people understand some of the things in their lives. And there are six A's. Now there are more A's that are the solution that we can look at another time. But see, what I believe is that Alienation leads to aloneness, which leads to anxiety, which leads to anger, which leads to abuse and addictions. See, at the heart of loneliness, before loneliness happens, there is a feeling of alienation, that you're not connected, that you don't belong, that somebody doesn't want you. So what the God of peace reminds us of in a very practical way, is that God has made peace with us. We are not disinherited. We are the children of God. Now, we're going to see how he has done that in this. Now, part of this this benediction and part of his redemptive story is this phrase in here, Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, of course, when we often think of that, I've learned that I can't say always, but often when people think of the great shepherd, we go back to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is a psalm that many, many secular people know by heart and say in funerals and other kinds of places where anxiety, and memorial services, that that statement of affirmation and faith that the Lord is my shepherd. So that when Jesus comes, and we looked at this in the I Am series from John 10, and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. So when when the benediction speaks about Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, there are several things that Jesus has told us about his role. But the first thing in that role is that he lays down his life for his sheep. He knows them. See, if we feel disinherited to know that somebody's willing to die for us and has died for us and paid the penalty for our sins and that he knows us and that he is able to both lay down his life for us and take it up. And so this is why the Apostle Paul, when he's leaving the Ephesian elders, says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers the word there really should be translated shepherds to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. You see, the good shepherd through the Holy Spirit appoints other shepherds to care for the flock. And that is a Holy Spirit relationship. When I remember back to taking my ordination exams and I was getting ready for that and I, I read this passage to have that awesome responsibility that the Holy Spirit is upon you as a shepherd, as an elder, whether you're a teaching or a ruling elder to care for the church of God which he bought with his blood. That's why this passage of Jesus is the, Shepherd of the great sheep is just so important. But. When we think about him laying down his life. This other passage that's in this benediction. That he was brought back from the dead by the blood of the covenant. See he was part of the father's plan. The father loved him because he was willing to lay down his life. And take it up again. He said in the garden That he wanted to do the Father's will, not his own. When we think about the blood of the covenant that was shed for the forgiveness of sins, when we think about lifting up the cup, the chalice, whatever you use in a communion service, that in that simple little element that you drink, That it is both, according to the word of God, the blood of the covenant, that thing that binds us together. And the next sermon series that we're going to be having will be on the covenant. We'll see in more detail from the Old Testament about the blood of the covenant. But yet that simple little drinking from the cup reminds us that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. His death had a purpose, it had a meaning. It was part of God's plan. That Jesus was brought back from the dead by the blood of the covenant. Now, it's all of grace. What I want to do right now is I want to read you two semi-extended passages from the book of Hebrews about that grace. And about the covenant. From Hebrews 8, beginning at verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other his neighbor and one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So in this blessing, in this covenant, when we see Jesus the shepherd, we see him coming back from the dead by the blood of the covenant. We need to remember, as he quotes from Jeremiah 31, I will remember their sins no more. You move on in Hebrews to chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a great high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered, and this is so important, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of the heifer could sanctify them through the purification of us. How much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So again, we have this idea of the blood of the covenant here in chapter 9 just exploded in terms of a visual image of what Christ did so that we could serve the living God because that's part of what this whole benediction is about because it's through Jesus Christ working in us that which is pleasing in his sight and equip you with everything good that you may do his will. You see the grace at work there, that he is working in us, that he is equipping us. Remember Old Testament prophets would say, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, it's too big of a job. In this benediction, in this blessing, he is saying that God, Jesus Christ, is going to be working in us, and we are going to be equipped. So that, again, you know that you're not alone, that you're valuable, that God has a purpose for you. The end result of this working and equipping is that we might do what is pleasing in his sight. We might do his will. Now again, I want to just kind of go back in this chapter in Hebrews 13 to say, okay, what is the will of God? When we look at the immediate context of Hebrews 13, because it is, it is so practical and so to the point of our lives Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed not be defiled, For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you and forsake you. Do you see His answer to economic anxiety is, I will never leave you and forsake you? For we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, I want to take apart, what does it mean to glorify God? To give you some practical day-to-day things. See, because of the blood of the covenant, we want to please him in what is referred to as obedient, obedience, affection. In other words, we obey, we want to follow what he has said because we love him. It's not to earn the affection, it's because he loved us first. Because we have peace with the God of peace. And I go back to the string of A's. Because sometimes I find that people can say, okay, I identify with that one, I identify with that one. The ideal of alienation that leads to aloneness, that leads to anxiety, which leads to anger, which leads to abuse and addictions. See, wherever you jump in, you've got to deal with all the ones below that. So that I know that if you come to me with, say, an anxiety or an anger issue or abuse or addiction, I know that there's an alienation question that needs to be faced. So that you can give him glory. Do you remember that he works in us? He equips us to do things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, thinking about being lonely. In chapter 13, it says, Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see the two fronts of attacking loneliness? Getting the attention aware from you, he says, lift up continually an offering of the sacrifice of praise on your lips. To be praising God. Not to be thinking about you, but to be praising God. And then even out of that, then again, to attack loneliness, he pushes us, do not neglect to do good and share what you have. If you are busy sharing what you have with people who do not have, whether it's your time, your talents, your food, whatever you can share with them, see you're reaching out because you know that God the God of peace has come into your life and yet you can that love the, the feelings of loneliness cannot define you. You see, we, we are being raised and shaped by a consuming culture, a culture that teaches us to be consumers, not citizens looking for the common good. Loneliness is always a result of alienation it needs. Reconciliation. Remember Ivanhoe, Desichado. Alienation needs to be faced, repented, and forgiven to deal with loneliness. In my final thoughts, I want to leave you with two word pictures to remember and reinforce as you fight off alienation. First is that simple little phrase at the beginning of this benediction the God of peace. If you feel anxious, if you feel disconnected, think of the God of peace. Think of what he has done. And then I love that image of the great shepherd of the sheep. Shepherds are there to be with, to protect, and Jesus says to lay down his life for us, to take it up because of the blood of the covenant so that we know that our sins are forgiven. So you can share what you have. So let me read it again before we sing our last song. And then I'll pronounce the benediction. I even thought of in the future, we we have it on this one, but writing them out. Because I don't want the benediction, two or three verses, to kind of be a throwaway at the end of the service. I want benedictions to start haunting you in your memories, to realize that you are blessed. That God has made the decision to bless us as part of our identity, that we are reconciled, that we are heirs. So hear now what God said through the writer of Hebrews. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus,